You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Thanks for joining in another week of the Land and Legacy Podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. Whoop, whoop. And just to give you a background, it is now mid-August and... Um, you know, this time of year, we've already covered this on a long-winded episode podcast last week. We covered this a podcast a few weeks before podcast that. Podcast 23. Podcast 23. There you go. And we're still, you know, we, we sat down to record this at 8.15 and it is now almost 10 o'clock because we've been <laughs> on the phone and... Why have we been on the phone, you ask, and why do you care? Because it was guys calling about food plot advice and what they should plan or what they should do to prep and get the food plots ready How for this fall. How much they should plant. Do I need this? Do I need fertilizer? This and that. Every, every question imaginable. Yes. And it's just it, because it's on everyone's mind. Everyone's it, thinking about fall food plots. We said this two weeks ago about how we're covering food plots because everybody's talking about it. Um, and we thought, okay, whew, that's off the plate. We've talked about food plots, but then when we talked about those people said, okay, I know what you, I know what you planted, but tell me pounds per acre and tell me why, why should mm -hmm. I? And so this week, um, we kind of have two subjects, um, that we'll talk a little bit about, but the number one thing is food plots. And I guess we're going to get into way more details than we did the first time. Um, just because food plots is something that, uh, we all, I think we all plan, it seems like, anymore. Everybody's desperately wanting to plant food plots. I don't know if it's just the hunter's, hunter's way of planting a garden. Um, you know, growing up, I remember my dad was obsessed with the garden. He still is, actually, and that was like a huge thing for him. And I guess this is the outdoorsman's version of a garden. Um, plant it, make it look pretty, and then go sit on it all fall and watch the deer and turkeys and whatever come in and use it. So... With that being said, that's what this week... This this one is... There was a lot of feedback, a lot of questions after we did the Podcast 23, unveiling the fall food plots, and then the long-winded, hey, great mixture, I love it. 
how much of what do I plant? How much mm-hmm. of each of one of those? What's the right balance? What's the right ratio um, to achieve the goals that you guys were talking about? And that, I mean, it's a great question, and we didn't want to leave anybody um, you know, out there hanging of, okay, I want some more information. So that's what this week is about. Basically, we're talking the exact ratio of each species, the 13 different species that we're going to be planting on our places, and how they're going to benefit the food plot and achieve our goals. And then we're going to dive into early season do's and don'ts. So I think that's going to be a great lead into um, hunting strategy for this fall, and specifically just the the early season and and things you might face, um, as you've seen on Trail Camera Now, and into the first few weeks of season and how we can prepare for that. You ready, Adam? I'm always ready. Let's do it. So what's your first first question on the notes? And well, one thing we kind of forgot to talk about was all the rain we're getting. Holy mm. cow. This you know, past week, it was like every day was uh, 50 or more percent. Well, it's been it's been a weird it's been, it's been a weird thing because, you know, a week and a half ago the 10-day forecast showed like 7 days having a 50 percent plus chance of rain it was like oh my we were frantically like you know it was it was like august 6th or something Mm -hmm. and my brother was calling me and he's like hey when are we gonna are we do you think we can go spray and get some food plot and it was like i I hope so but i I was not prepared for to be planning in in uh august 8th and 9th and stuff so um but as that kind of unfolded it turned into where we had instead of having seven days of steady rain, it turned into one day of heavy rain, and then five days later we got another big rain. Yep. And uh, but temperatures have been cooler, and you you know, growing up, and we we've kind of hit some of those pop up showers in yeah last more, night. recently like last, last night, night the day we had before. a sixty percent chance yeah. of rain, and it rained I don't know how much, but it rained a bunch. Big old line of storms rolled through, mm-hmm. and uh, I could hear it pounding on the roof. T- rooftop when i was trying to go to sleep so definitely raining hard um last night we've been getting a lot of great rain and even places in the parts of the midwest like southern iowa where people have been uh really basically they've been really kind of worried about ehd breakout mm-hmm. um they started getting a lot of rain yep. and uh i talked to a guy from southeastern iowa yesterday and he said that he over the last week and a half he said like three inches of rain oh good and it was supposed to rain again last night i mm-hmm. think or just over two inches and raining again last night, heavy. So, um, yeah, it's it's starting to rain. You know, growing up, I, I, if you were to ask me favorite month, least favorite month, I would say favorite month April or October. Not sure. Ask me what time of the year, or ask me it, at it a certain time of the year, and it changes. <laughs> least favorite month, I can almost always tell you, it's either July or August, oh, yeah. and it was mostly August because of uh, as I don't know if I've shared this, but I was not a fan of school ever. And uh, I don't think that's a shocker to anybody. Yeah, and so I, really I was not a fan of school, and uh, I did not like the heat and just the time of the year. I just didn't wasn't a fan of August. But this August has been a lot different, and I, oh I've grown gosh, to really yeah. like August now, uh, even though my birthday's right in the middle of the month. But um, that's a little bit of a plug in case anybody wants to send me anything for my birthday. No, no, that was any not a cards plug. That or was a cry for help or cry for uh, anything like that. Um, <laughs> So, and it'll be 30. Boom. Uh, yeah. Big 3 Boom goes dynamite. <laughs> um, so, 
that's why I've, I've never been a huge fan of August, but this August has been wonderful. It's it's honestly felt like October a little bit, or, or even some of September. We've had rain. It's been cool a little mornings. cooler. Yeah. Oh. Uh, heavy dews in the morning. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, uh, August has been great. It's been a good food plot month. We're still working on getting our food plots in. And, and uh, it's still early. It's it's Today is August 17th. We have plenty of time. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people right now who are getting the food plots in. They're getting the good rains. They're going to have great success. That's awesome. Um, or there's guys panicking, saying, did I, I miss it. the rain? I missed the rain. But we got have no fear. It's still just August 17th today. And, and you know, uh, there was one year my brother and I planted food plots in late September because we were not getting rain. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, I, I'm not going to plant and it's it like not waste rain. waste of seed. Yeah. Right. So still have time. Yes. So, anyway, it's been a great August, and it's great food plot weather. And I know there's guys out there, Habitat Manager's Facebook group is just getting bombarded with pictures of people putting in food plots. A lot of bare soil out there. A lot of bare soil. Don't even talk about that. That's like, oh. Yeah. That's that's like talking about the the Cardinals' loss last night. uh, It's just, we don't want to talk about it. A lot of bare soil, a lot of people talking about food plots, and so this week we're talking about our mixture. What, it's like it's almost like our first podcast was uh, on f- first podcast. <laughs> first podcast on fall food plots yep. was here. It is here's uh, five topics and five key points. Whoa! Here came back twenty questions. <laughs> yeah. So which is, then which we did long winded. Which was, here's five more topics that kind of answer some of those questions. Here come back 20 more questions. Mm-hmm. So, Which we is felt great like it feedback was, that we need to hit it again, talk yep. about it some more. Mm-hmm. We love yeah. it. Um, and Yeah, because that's been one of our, out of all the podcasts we've done, this has probably been the one with the main topic that's got the most questions mm-hmm. and continues to get the most questions. So just like this morning, hour and a half on two different phone calls, trying to give people exactly okay this is what to do this is what i would do if i were in your situation this is what i would plant in your situation okay this these are the seeds you can get plant these at this rate blah 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 so whoo now that we finished that let's go ahead and start covering our topics let's pull up that uh what we've talked about in the in the past and we're going to include a link if you get our um blog and, and post there through the website if, if not you can go on and and sign up for those um at landlegacy.tv but we're including a link to what greencoverseed.com this allows you to build some mixtures based on your goals and we've talked about it in the past great resource i encourage you to do it if you're looking just if you're kind of one of those people who likes to experiment boom this is this is the tool to use so Let's let's read off our 13 species, Adam. Read those off, and then we're going to cover exactly in that in that mixture how much of each seed. Okay. What 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 we got in the legume category? So, you know what I should do? I actually should change this to where it's one. It's it's one acre, just to make yep. this easier on everybody. Much easier. So. Because I was here, looking here at it that. Comes. No, no, it didn't change. Um, let's just cover 
You keep talking. <laughs> what did you not do? <laughs> it, it didn't change the... Uh... Didn't change your rights there. No. Oh, well. Because it's not going <clears> to... <throat> so, basically, and again, this green cover seed, it is, it is the tool that we're using to plan out. It's a, it, it's it's a great little... Whoa. It's a great little place to uh, basically kind of just dabble. You can just get on here and just be like, okay, I want to add this. Oh, that that cranked up. You basically click your priorities. You've got three priorities you can click on and say, okay, I want to focus on soil compaction, breaking up soil compaction, um, nit- nutrient cycling, and increased soil organic matter. But there's like eight other ones. We've talked about it before, but you can click on what your priorities are. And ours are increased soil organic matter. That's the big one that we want to do for fall food plots. And, of course, because, I I will add, because we have done years of plowing and disking and harrowing and we've lost organic matter because of that. So we're trying to build it back up now. Build it back up. And then, you know, we're we're selecting forage species that are great for um, foraging during this time of year. Especially it gives you a, a tolerance, basically, ratio of winter forage and it's got these gauges on there to let you know exactly what you got going on and this and that um and if again if you like to to try the different things or see hey i've never i never planted wheat if i added that what would it do and you get it's a visual thing you get to see exactly what happens with it or if you're a guy and you're like hey i've seen some people they're doing this thing like sun hemp what is sun hemp got all this list of species to go through boom plug in and of course we're not going to do that in the fall situation but that's one of those other species that's kind of kind of hitting the 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 market out there if you will um and food plots and people are really trying to experiment with it and see what happens um so this is a a great place to plug and play and um really see where you're at and everyone's food plot and and i encourage you guys to to think about it this way um you know everyone's food plot species and and variety is going to be different um, based on your goals and based on the condition of the soil. And based on if you can get the seed or not. Right. Some of these seeds are, are I'm not going to say tough to find, but, um, you know, planning ahead and, and, and knowing, okay, I'm, I'm going to need this, you know, you might need to order it in a little bit. But if we go to, um, well, just like when we were in Texas, there was a, there was a, a property we were on that flooded a lot, and they weren't able to successfully plant a um, soybean food plot in some of these areas because it flooded and they were just wasting seed. So in their situation each spring, they kind of left their food plots just barren. And unfortunately, you know, for them, that was a lot of ground that could be used. But, you know, for for their um, food plot situation, just soybeans, it wasn't working. So what we have done is specifically in those areas that do flood or common flooding, we're going to wait until that the threat of flood is over in the springtime. And, and again, it's Texas. So you've got heat. You've got dry months coming up. But what we're doing is building a mixture that can tolerate those. So we're including things like Milo, including things like sun hemp or iron clay cow peas, which can tolerate those um, drought conditions, but still build nitrogen in the soil and still produce forage um, in those areas that, you know, that soybean 
field would not have done well. And they, they actually planted it this year, and then they got a flood for two days or so. And very, 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 unfortunately for them, poor um, sprouts coming up because they had dissed, and then that that top portion of the soil was like a, a concrete pad. Soybeans were not pushing through it. Um, and unfortunately it was, a, it was a failure this year, but through this green cover seed, we've been able to address the issue that they face and make a plan that's going to work specifically in their plots. Hey, are we ready? You got I it? I think so. Yeah. All right. So, um, as Matt was telling you, we'll just go through first. I'll just list off everything we have. Yeah. Hairy vetch, air leaf clover, crimson clover, winter peas, so Austrian winter peas, you may know, uh, winter trichticale, trichticale, whatever you call it, winter trichticale, um, winter wheat. There's 12 varieties here. So cereal, rye, and then oats, rape seed. Um, we have a hybrid turnip, which is like a forage turnip. So it's not the purple top, big bulbs. It's going to be more focused on greens. Um, purple top turnips. And then the radish. So you may see it as a gopher radish or a uh, this one's a uh, yeah a daikon or a nitro radish. Basically, that's really working on soil compaction um, as and well as other and great pretty tuber. good greens. Yeah. Um, and the and the tuber that's that deer will eat. Um, so those are the twelve. Now for whenever how long it takes us to get through it, we're going to cover why we're planting that specific species uh, one of the big things that that i guess comes into play for why we're planting this 12 species is these now if you get on smart uh well if you get on green cover seed and you go to the smart mix and you're playing around you'll see that there are species that are better for whatever it is your priority is so if we got on here and you punched in, if you got on green cover seed and you punched in exactly what we have, you'll see that there are blends that are better for, let's say, nutrient cycling. The problem with that for us is we can't find that around here locally. And that's that's why, in case you get on there, why we're not clicking the ones that are like, for example, when it comes to grasses, it will list out um, things that are excellent things that are good and things that are marginal. And we clicked winter wheat, which is only marginal. And you look and there's um, excellent. And it's like, uh, let's just say meadow brome and Egyptian wheat, um, Japanese millet. And, of course, these are spring spring species as well that are in here. Um, we just, we're not using them because some are for the spring or we just can't get them or they don't meet our goals of food plot. Now, keep in mind, green cover seed is for the ag guy. It's not really designed to help people with food plots in particular. It's more just broad scale ag field. So a lot of different things you can choose from, but this is why we're doing these things. So we, we, we got to keep in mind the base of the, the forage quality of all of our species, right? We could, we could do and, and place other, um, grasses and species in there but we we have the goals of forage quality nutrient cycling and cover crop and then we're thinking ahead we're playing ahead of what's coming back in the spring and 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 those mm -hmm. species that we're playing now have an impact of the success down the road so 
And okay. if you get on there, you'll see like these little, what would you call those, man? Half a pie graph type thing. It Almost, looks like a To me, it looks like a speedometer. Yeah. yeah. You go across. A, and, they're gauges that, to tell you how well the mixture does for um, nitrogen fixation, grazing qualities, drought, frost, winter, diversity, diversity and salinity. So basically all these different factors that you kind of considering and basically it tells you, all right, is this mixture strong in this category or is it not? That's what it does. Yep. So let's try and keep this simple now. Yep. So when it comes and you have four different things, legumes, legumes, grasses, brassicas, broadleaves. When it comes to legumes, we have four species that are in that. Hairy vetch, arrowleaf clover, crimson clover, and winter peas. Reason we like these, um, not only, so hairy vetch, when hairy vetch grows in the fall, it doesn't really amount to much. You don't really see, you'll see a little five inch sprig, but it's not a huge attraction. In forage quality for deer. In for deer. Its purpose is nitrogen fixation. And mainly the thing I love about hairy vetch is next spring, it grows like mad. It, it, it will fill in. If there's any hole in your food plot, a little thin area, you can bet um, come springtime that the hairy vetch is going to take that over and consume it. And it's a great um, nitrogen fixation. Mm-hmm. And another thing I really like about it, it has a, a lot of blooms. Yep. And in the spring, we go back into plant. There are butterflies and bees everywhere. It's oh, a yeah. great pollinator. Um, and so that's why we hairy vetch we plant because nitrogen fixation and weed suppression next spring. Yep. Arrowleaf clover. Well, we got to talk about how much. Oh, okay. You missed that's the bread right. and butter. That's the well, that's where all the questions came from. <laughs> yeah. And and this can vary. Keep in mind, it can vary very much on in your specific area what your goals are. If you get on green cover seed, you can change it. We basically click the smart mix so they do the thinking for us as far as uh on this particular example we're doing. Um, and it will, it has a lot of winter peas in there. We would probably knock that down because I, I would rather have more crimson clover or more arrowleaf clover and more hairy vetch than winter peas. But this has it, this has got basically 3.5 pounds per acre. Right. For hairy vetch. Mm-hmm. Does that answer it for you? Is that that's I think, it? So I know uh, there's people out there writing that down. Okay, three point five pounds. Three point five. We're trying to keep this as I guess as perfect as possible, so you don't have to listen to the ramble from each one to the next. Yeah. But so, and this is for for drilling. We we added this. In, no, this is for broadcasting. This is broadcasting. This you is broadcasting. Bro- okay, good. Because yeah, a lot good. of guys are going to be broadcasting. Yes. So yes, like Matt just said on GreenCoverSeed.com, you can select broadcasting drilling and it will adjust the ratio adjust it for based that. on that yeah. and so this is for broadcasting Good. now arrowleaf clover we plant that uh it's a great forage uh clover the thing i like about it is it grows great next spring as well correct and obviously being a legume it's fixating nitrogen it fills in a great void during the early spring when it starts to to really grow then um when there's kind of a dead period and possibly what native browse and all is coming back. It, it's a great, it's a great filler. And it's an annual clover, so it's it's cheaper than mm-hmm. a lot of your perennial clovers. So if you bought Durana, and keep in mind these are food plots that 
with our soil health, where we're at as far as pH and everything, we're trying to plant as many crops as possible. So we're we're planting a high diversity mix in the fall, and then we terminate that, and we're planting a high diversity mix in the spring. So we have two crops going year round, and that's why we're planting all annuals, not perennials. So um, arrowleaf is an annual clover. It's a lot cheaper than the others. It's a great nitrogen fixation. Uh, or it's great at uh, fixating nitrogen, and it also provides good forage. The other thing about that I like about it is, is when we go back and terminate, keep in mind, when we terminate, we don't, like, we try and kill everything, but there are, like, arrowleaf clover is one that is not really growing like crazy when we terminate in April. It really comes on great in May and June. If we go out in June, there's, the the arrowleaf clovers knee high and growing like crazy in the spring plot that we've already planted. That's one of the things I love about arrowleaf clover. The smart mix has us planting at one point three five pounds per acre. So and the in these numbers, if you were to say, okay, go to a counter at a seed shop and say, I need two pounds of arrowleaf, just that little bit of difference, not gonna make a, a huge know, difference. No. Get two pounds. Round up sure. on that one and round down on well I, you could round down on winter peas up here. Right, right. We'll get to it. But the next one, crimson clover. Same thing with arrowleaf clover. It's another annual. It's cheap, but it's a highly preferred forage. Um, mm-hmm. It grows gr- grows really quickly. It's it's pretty cheap when you compare it to other clover seed costs. Um, in the fall, it's going to grow really quick, and deer, pref- it's a high preferred Definitely. forage. So it's a great food plot or a great attraction in the fall, but then in the spring it comes back and makes a gorgeous a beautiful seed head and bloom and it's a great uh, i mean when we plant it butterflies and honeybees just love it um but it's it it's reseeding for the next year and it and uh it it basically is a great forage great at nitrogen fixation uh and it also if if you care about it it's a great attraction for the bees and butterflies anything else you want to add on that three pounds three pounds an acre on to winter peas. Winter peas. What have been described as the, the ice cream candy of fall food plot mixtures. I've seen and heard mixed reviews on it um, from different people. And, you know, they've tried it and deer have absolutely crushed it, especially at certain times of the year. Um, when you get the, the right temperatures, deer just kind of, boom, turn onto it. It's kind of a switch that goes off. Um, so it's very, very attractive. Um, and... Again, this one is saying eight point four five pounds an acre. We're probably gonna just eight pounds. Eight pounds an acre. And sometimes we may even bump that down to four pounds per acre and, and bump hairy vetch up mm-hmm. uh to seven pounds per acre. Um that you can tweak this, but on this smart mix it says eight point four four, but we're gonna go ahead and knock it down to eight pounds an acre because we bumped arrowleaf clover up to two. And and another factor of the winter piece I've seen it. They're pretty hardy, like very hardy for for a winter crop. Um, you see a lot of growth out of them, and then in the springtime too. You start seeing them buying up on on some of the um, stalks of the cereal rye and other things that have gotten um, a lot more lignin content. They they're a lot stockier. You see the the winter peas start vining up them. So out really, of out of the uh, legumes too, it's the cheapest one. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. This is saying on, on there says fifty five cents a pound. Yeah. Um, the thing I like about first time I ever planted winter Austrian winter peas, I was working for the Missouri Department of Conservation, and we planted some, 
this is my first time I ever really started hearing anything about it. And we planted them and we were like, deer aren't even touching them. And it went for a couple of months. Deer weren't even touching them. And sometime in the process of late winter, early spring, we went back and they were gone. Couldn't even find them. We're like, what? Like, did bugs come and eat them? And we realized that we finally found a, a spot where deer had been grazing them like crazy. And we realized, oh, they waited and waited and waited. And then all of a sudden, something changed in that plant that the deer just, then they were attracted to it and hammered it. That's the, one of the big reasons why we like this mix for the fall is it, we have 12 species here. And sure, early, some of them aren't preferred. Late, some of them aren't preferred. At some point during planting and termination, it's a preferred food source. Correct. And so let's just say turnips, purple top turnips and, and the radishes, they're not a preferred food source as soon as we plant them. Once they start getting green and, and uh, well, let's just change the difference between a purple top turnip and a, and a radish is the radishes get hit a little earlier when the purple top turnip greens aren't even getting touched. There's not been a huge frost yet. Sugars aren't uh, transferred up into the leaves. So they're going to be hitting the leaves of the radish but not touching the leaves of the t purple top turnip. We get a big frost. Now they start focusing on the purple top turnip leaves and the rape seed, and they're eating those and not touching the turnip or the radish and allowing that radish to grow more. And then as it gets a little later, they're, okay, they're off of that, and they're back on winter wheat, and they're on cereal rye, and they're eating that. And that's just the whole reason for mixing these diverse species. Or we look at the grasses, and we have oats, winter wheat, Cereal rye, trichocale, they're going to eat the oats long before they eat the winter wheat. They eat the oats early in the spring and the winter wheat in the winter. So early in the season. Early oats. in the season. Yeah. yeah. So exactly. Everything that, that's in here has its window of preference. And for that, that's why we have such a, oh, a long list of species. <clears throat> because you're planting now and you're wanting this, this area to be attractive and provide forage from now till termination, which is in April. So that's a big window. That's you have to have a variety of species to, you know, address each, each factor, each portion of that long season. So that's why we have 12 different species in this, mm -hmm. in this mixture. And one of them's going to be one of them's mining and needing, let's just say it needs phosphorus, like a, a legume and it's fixating nitrogen. So it's actually putting nitrogen back into the soil for the grasses to uptake, but it's mining something else. So each one of them could be mining different things and pulling that to the surface. And then as they decompose and break down next spring and summer, that's releasing all those, the diversity of nutrients back into the soil for the next crop. That's why we prefer this well, way more than monocultures. Right. So you, let's you go ahead. Okay, you wouldn't go get ahead. that diversity or selection preference if it was just a let's say winter a single wheat. species cover crop right of winter wheat so no nitrogen fixating yeah with winter with just winter wheat so we've covered legumes now let's go down to grasses first one on the list is winter tricked kale like this because it's basically a hybrid between winter wheat and cereal rye it's got a lot more blade stage, a lot more blade and forage than 
cereal rye, but it grows tall. It's like in between the two. If you were to look at cereal rye in the spring and winter wheat in the spring, it's like in between the two. It's taller than winter wheat gets, but it keeps the blade stage like winter wheat. So that's why we like it in the spring. It's going to build all kinds of organic matter. And you're looking in the spring and you see, okay, cereal rye grows six foot tall, but it's really stemmy. It's thin. It's thin. It doesn't, like, you lay it down, it takes a lot of stems to really cover the ground. But you mix in trictacale, or trictacale, and you fill it in. You fill it in. It's it's a uh, it's a wonder I I love it I love the looks of it it, it lays over and it provides a fantastic mat um, and weed barrier that's why we plant it it's it's also it's not as preferred as some of the other grasses that we have in this but it it is foraged upon um, but its its main purpose is to provide a weed barrier next spring when it grows up and provide more organic matter next oh we have thirteen point five four so. 13 and a half pounds per acre. Next one, winter wheat. Winter wheat. Now, this is one we add this. If you look on the list and you're like, okay, excellent, good, or I forget what their other one is, marginal. Winter wheat is just marginal when it comes to uh, our, our goals. But the which, main which may th- shock a lot of people. You know, a lot of food plot blends out there, commercial blends, have got. A, a strong basis of winter wheat. Um, right there it is. It's marginal. Um, so, you know, okay, a deer hit, deer crush my winter wheat. Right. Well, you know, that's because wintertime is a tough time for deer. There's not that much forage out there. So we include this, though, for um, beyond just forage quality, but for um, other purposes, like we mentioned earlier, weed, weed mats and everything. It's not going to grow as tall, but it's going to fill in and and take the place of um, other forages during the winter time. And another big reason why, out of all the things listed, I think it's the cheapest seed out there. This has it as twenty one cents a pound. That's I why. heard cha ching. Yeah, that, that makes the wife happy right there. Yeah, that's why. Honestly, that's why we a lot of people mix it in, and even mixes is because you can get a lot of seed in there for pretty cheap. And it's also, I mean, we. How many times, I think of all the times you drive by a field in, in March and everything else is brown and there's a brilliant, vibrant field of green winter wheat and deer are piling into it. Um, so it can be preferred. We mix it in for that reason. You ready? Yeah. And that was 13.54. Thir- yep. Next one, cereal rye. Cereal rye. Huge, huge um, advantage during the springtime. Six foot tall, and it is a extreme benefit to, again, like we were talking earlier, weed mat, um, soil conservation, uh, moisture conservation, excuse me, um, during the springtime. So if you get that spring rain and you're able to lay that um, weed mat over, you're, you're protecting the soil, not allowing a lot of evaporation. Um, again, that's 13.5 pounds as well. That one's pretty cheap, too. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a great addition to your mixture at uh, just 23 cents a pound. Yep, for sure. Next one, oats. Um, just like we, I mentioned earlier, oats is a – it's a – It's probably one of the, the most preferred out of these grasses. Out of these grasses, for sure. And it's it almost – it grows a lot quicker in the spring or in the fall when you plant it. 
So it is a preferred food source during, I think of it always in October. Mm-hmm. Um, it's already clumpy, 10 inches, 12 inches tall, depending on rain, rainfall, and it's very thick blades. And a lot of, I mean, lots of forage on that. Out of all the grasses we plant, that one is the one we notice the most browse pressure on during the early parts of fall. So that's why we plant it. And then it's a lot of blades. So it also, uh, it's great weed suppressor in uh, in the next spring. And it's build some organic mat. Now keep in mind... Just so you, just so we can touch on this, but if we were to just plant these four grasses, even though it's four species, that would not be a high diverse mix. It's still four grasses because if you if you listen to the description of them, they're all relatively the same. Mm-hmm. One grows a little taller, one's a little stemmier, one's that's pretty much the difference. Right. Root systems are gonna vary a little bit, but they're all still grasses, so they're all mining relatively the same amount or same types of uh micronutrients and everything too so those four species would still be a monoculture um type type planting because they're all grasses figuratively yes but they have their purpose in our mix correct because we have four legumes four grasses four brassicas yep so we've covered legumes and grasses hopefully you've and oats was at 11.88 pounds we do 12 or even bump it up if we're gonna back off one of the other ones where we could bump it up to 13 14 pounds just because we like it mm-hmm brassicas brassicas first one rapeseed um man rape was one of the very first the very first food plot we ever planted i remember it vividly was buck forge oats i was 11 or 12 years old when we planted buck forge oats the next fall we planted rape and Rape is one of those, like, to me, if you were to go into the market and you were like, I have no idea what rape looks like. But to me, it looks like kale. It's uh-huh. kind of the same. They're in the same family. Very, very yeah. uh, similar. Um, it's in the Braska family, but it it's more of a forage, a green forage than, than a tuber. Um, it's very palatable. It's one of those that if you take it, pick a leaf and chew it it almost dissolves in your mouth um but it's it's a very preferred food source for the deer and it's great at um compaction breaking um and this has it at um and matt gave me a look but it's got a great root system not because of a tuber but it's got a great root system so don't think it's going to have a big bowl but it's got a great root um and it's relatively cheap uh it's the cheapest brassica seed we have in the mix um, at $1 a pound. Um, and that's going to vary from where you go, but, um, and we have basically 1.04 pounds per acre. So one pound an acre. That seems like, oh my gosh, am I even planting? But it is a very, very small seed. All, all the, these, all these seeds. brassicas are very small. So you're going to, it's going to seem like, oh my gosh, am I even going to have brassicas in my plot? Yes. <laughs> you, the, you certainly I think will. the radish is going to be the biggest one at <laughs> just over a pin pin tip size yeah um the next one so rapeseed one pound an acre next one is a this says turnip hybrid um so keep in mind when it comes to turnips there's a couple different varieties this is going to be similar to rape as far as uh, more focused on forage than tuber um 
we plant it in there just to kind of break up the cycle. It's it's, it's going to grow a little taller than the rape. Um, it's gonna it's gonna be more of a preferred food source later in the fall. So the rape, I don't notice it needs still it needs to still have a frost on it, but rape is not more uh, it's not as preferred late in the winter. This turnip hybrid is going to be more preferred in early December, late November, and throughout the rest of the uh, winter. That's why we mix it in, just because it's preferred at a little bit different time than purple top turnip or a radish or rape. Um, we have it at 1.35 pounds an acre. So one you and a half pounds. One Bump and a half pounds. Round them up. Make it easy. And that is actually the most expensive. It's going to vary. But basically, you're looking for a forage turnip. That's what you would go into a feed store a store and say, I'm looking for this. You're looking for a forage turnip. Um, I think, uh, no, I won't even I won't even guess. I'm trying to think of the last last time we planted it, what it was called. It was like a bar barlet or barklet type turnip. But... Um, that's three point on here. It's three point three dollars and thirty cents a pound. So it's a little more expensive, but it's a great. Uh, basically, you're filling a gap. It's a bridge between yep. um, everything else. So the next one is obviously my gosh. I wish I knew how many times this has been planted for food plots. And, oh my gosh, it's a it. How many times do you see this debate on Habitat Managers or on Facebook where they don't eat turnips? Yeah, um, yeah, all the people, time. Uh, some people plant them and deer don't touch them. Some people plant them and deer destroy them. For us, we plant them if we planted a straight. I remember planting a straight turnip monoculture kind of in our experiment plot up front on the farm. And it was nothing but purple top turnips. Grew up. They just, they didn't really touch it early. But once um, they hit all the other food plots, they started moving up on this one. And by February, it was a mud pit. They had mm-hmm. eaten all the greens, and then they came back and started eating all the turnips. And, and I think you just you, you made a really good point right there. In in food plots that have just that monoculture, that's a very common thing to see. That during the late winter, January February, that ground is after after they've consumed the tops, and you just got bulbs. Then you just have bulbs sitting in dirt, mm-hmm. and that's why we have these grasses and other legumes and stuff to fill in. Um, that that space and to occupy that ground with additional root systems because uh, everyone everyone can kind of go back and think oh my gosh yeah I know exactly what you're talking about you know I've had turnip plots just like that and so that's another reason why the diversity and having these other mixtures or other species in the mixture is is critical and even if you're if you're one of those guys that said deer don't eat turnips here okay plant them anyway because they're great for the soil bingo and yep. uh, and it's it, still a you're you're still winning. And there's always a exactly. There's always a learning curve too. Is if you plant if you're in an area like the first year we planted corn at my farm, deer didn't know what in the world that was because they'd never seen it, mm-hmm. and we don't even feed it that much in, in feeders. So it was just it was a, a field of standing corn. Then we bush hogged it, and the coons ate it, but it took forever to get any deer to eat it. Same thing with brassicas and turnips is if you plant it the first year and deer don't eat it and you're like okay i'm done with that okay try it again again. but instead of devoting an entire field to just one species mix it up give them a preferred forage that they like let's say it's winter wheat but mix in the turnips as well and 
That way, over time, they're going to learn, okay, I can eat this too. It just needs to be frosted. Yeah, Yeah. we need to have a frost so it tastes better. Because if you were to eat a turnip leaf in in the summer even or early fall, it's bitter as can be. So mix them in. It's great for the soil. But over time, you're going to learn it's a a great forage. Not only the green, but also the tube, tuber. So one pound pound an acre. One pound an acre. And no, uh, one of the phone calls this morning. Hey, and I'm the same way when it comes to a lot of things. But, okay, three pounds is good. Five pounds must be better. (laughs) You can't do that with a lot of these seeds because you're going to overseed and you're going to turn it. I always think of the couple of first times when we didn't have hand spreaders. We would just throw it out by hand. Yeah. And there was areas where, like, where we throw it out by hand and it's kind of like a boomerang shape. Get a wave, right in the like... center of it, it's really small and the leaves are thumb size and then mm-hmm. they, they turn purple and yellow and you're like, what in the world? Well, they're just too Choking crowded. Each other out. Yeah. And, but then on the edge, we'd have huge turnips and it was like, wow. Okay. Yep. We need to, we need to get Seed this. appropriately. Yes. And that's where turnips is one of those things that oftentimes gets overseeded because it is such a small seed. Correct. Easy to do. One pound an acre. Purple top turnip. Next one, radish. This is uh, this one right here is is one that's kind of relatively new. It started out in the ag world as most of this did, Um, but it is a phenomenal compaction breaking species and will mine nutrients and way deep into the soil profile that most of these species can't really even think about. Getting that deep, that quick, mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's amazing. Like you think of a a radish, we've seen and pulled some out of the ground that are your whole yes. forearm from like your elbow to your fingertips. If They're you've never long. seen a radish, uh, uh, like a nitro or a, a gopher radish, when I just think radish, I think a little red, almost like small turnip oh, at, yeah. the, at the grocery at Walmart yeah. at the grocery store, and you're like, how is that doing it? But it's totally different. It's like a big green tuber. Looks like a it almost looks like a spike driven into the ground. Yeah, it really does. And if if you've fertilized correctly, you've done soil tests, I've seen them where they get baseball bat size. Mm-hmm. Like they're four inches in diameter, and they're 20, 24 inches long. Yep. And that's going down in the soil. And not only that, but it's got more of a root, not just the big tuber Correct. part. It's got more of a fine hair going even further. Right. I think I've seen studies where they say that they've seen them go five feet deep. That's incredible. That's mining some nutrients right mm-hmm. there. And then there's a great aeration um, quality to that after that radish, if it hasn't been consumed or pulled out, um, aerates aerates the, the soil. And the, the qualities of the radish for forage, soil improvement, is ridiculous. And again, if if you're if you planted these before and deer hadn't hit them, don't plant them for deer in your head. Plant them for soil improvement. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's you mentioned it. It's a great forage during October. I've seen deer really browse on October, early November, and then they get they'll get focused more on purple top turnip or or a or a grass or a, even a, a legume. Um, they don't. There's not a, a huge window where they browse on the radish but it does provide some forage during a certain time of the year and w- yeah when when it's and right then the, you talked right. you talked about it um being great at mining nutrients but 
this is one of those things. The first time I ever planted it, it was the coolest thing. Um, the next spring, basically it would look like February, March. This breaks down so quickly. It really, really does. So quickly that you're going to go out there and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, what is that smell? (laughs) It smells like rotting flesh or rotting something out here. What's going on? And then a lot of times it's the, it's the tubers, but most, uh, most times it's the radish. The radish breaks down and almost turns into this mush and just kind of, it's honestly kind of gross if you're not used to it. You go out there and it's breaking down, but as it breaks down, and eventually decomposes completely. There is actually, in a lot of places, holes in the ground. Mm-hmm. It looks like it turns your ground kind of into Swiss cheese. And those holes now can take in water and get the water deeper into your soil profile than just running across the top. That's a huge plus. So if you're thinking, well, deer don't eat radishes here, plant them anyway for the soil. Yep. And they, they are... They're pretty cheap too, a dollar sixty-five a pound, and you're planting a pound and a half. It's two dollars per acre to plant this. Give it a try, see what happens. Know that you're benefiting the soil, which is another important aspect to consider when you're planting your plots. Um, plant them, throw it out there. Two bucks an acre. I think we can all scrounge around some pennies and, and try it. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're kind of going down the road and you're like, man, I need to go back and listen to this. Here it is. We're going to break it down in 30 seconds. We have hairy vetch, three and a half pounds an acre. Arrowleaf clover, one and a half pounds per acre. Crimson clover, three pounds an acre. Winter peas, eight pounds an acre. Winter trick to kale, three and a half pounds an acre. Thirteen and a half pounds. Sorry. Thirteen and a half pounds an acre. Winter wheat. 13 and a half pounds an acre. Cereal rye, 13 and a half pounds per acre. Oats, two or 12 pounds an acre. Rape, one pound an acre. Forage turnip, one and a half pounds an acre. Purple top turnip, one pound an acre. And a radish, one and a half pounds an acre. And everybody said, couldn't you have done that at the beginning? Yep. <laughs> Simultaneously. Yes. But it's important to understand what each one does and why they're included what space they fill, what's their role now as forage and as cover during the spring. Um, So hopefully that gave you a good rundown of what each one does, how to plant it from other podcasts, and exactly how much to plant in this podcast. So you're well on your way to having a high-diverse food plot this fall that is highly attractive and has good soil improvement qualities. Now we just helped you out in your fall food plots hopefully this fall. But keep in mind, we're always testing and experimenting. So there's all kinds. There's some other mixes that we're going to be trying. Oh yeah, and you'll follow along to see if we fail or succeed with those mixes because we may find another. This is a great mix. We love this mix, but there's some other ones that we're going to be testing in smaller applications. Right, smaller food plots, less than a less than a half acre that we're mixing some different stuff in. So follow along on future podcasts to uh, see exactly. Uh, I guess more tests and failures that we're trying. Absolutely, got to uh, keep trying. Let's yeah. let's switch some gears now that we've got that, and talk about early season bow hunting, early season do's and don'ts. And and you get this question a lot of, hey, I've got this buck on camera. Should I go in and hunt him? Let's address that 
We've got. We've you got. Know, I we've thought got of something a yeah. second ago, or not second ago. Early in the podcast, we talked about August and what this August is bringing, and it made me think of early season. Right. Um, and we talked about the heavy dews we're getting this time of year. Right. And and I said it felt a lot like September and even early October, mm-hmm. and that was exactly one of the big key components of why we don't hunt a lot of mornings. You know, I think a lot of yes. times you get a deer on camera. Um, and you have him on a summer pattern and season opens up and you're like, should I go in in this morning and hunt him? Mm-hmm. And you have to consider what those morning conditions are. And I think of a, a lot of mornings in the early season of not much wind. Yep. High humidity. Extremely high humidity. Like 90 plus percent and heavy, heavy dews because like the high humidity is mm-hmm. because of the heavy dews. And so you have heavy, heavy dews, no wind, and you're trying to go in and hunt them? So, and, and you're like, okay, what does the dew have to do with anything? And what does humidity have to do with anything? And you touched on it. You jumped ahead. But all those conditions, when, when you're considering um, scent control and concealment, those factors of high humidity and moisture in the air will increase the ability for something, even dogs, you've seen it. If you're a quail um, hunter, you think of the heavy dew days where mm-hmm. your birds are on there or your birds, yeah. your, your dogs, dogs are on birds all day. Cause they can smell them so well, so much better. You think of uh, coon hunters and their dogs are treating coons a lot better on those heavy dew nights, high mm-hmm. humidity. Um, think of deer hunters. You get winded a whole lot more on the heavy dew days. And I almost dare not say it, but we're trying to think of an everyday, and I, I'll just use an example. Now, right. this might be a little crude, but this is what oh. a, uh, a intern of mine, I couldn't get him to understand that. Yeah. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he kept thinking on it. And he goes, oh, would it be like a fart in a shower? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He said, I can have... No, I never thought we'd come to this in the podcast, <laughs> no. but I'll try to give somebody an example. You may fart outside the shower. Yeah. And... Not so bad. Eh, not too bad. You get in the shower and you about gag. Yeah. It's because of that. You're like, give me shampoo. Give me some fragrance in here that masks the smell. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the way that intern uh, understood it. Yeah. Of high humidity. Oh, right. Okay. I get it now. So if now, you we'll ha- get back on. Yeah. We'll get if off you that have, quickly. And, and you, can't, you can't eliminate scent completely. So if you have some scent out there. A deer is more likely to smell it on those days. It's getting magnified. Exactly. And exponentially. And if you have a low wind speed that day, it's hanging around you and not getting out of the way downwind of an area where deer aren't going to be coming nearly as quickly. So you have those factors fighting against you. So don't just look at wind speed. And this is... This goes for not only morning hunts, but again, early season, we could have humidity 90, 80% during those days. And if it's low wind, we're likely going to be staying out. Uh, we're going to wait for conditions where it's just more favorable for us and know that we're not going to spook them because, all right, if they're on a good pattern, they get in tight and they spook, not good. No, not good. Not good. I, it, not a way you want to open the season. No, not I at don't all. want to, and especially sometimes I just think of those early mornings way back in the day, hike in and you're almost to your stand and, and you're like, mm, mm, was that him? Oh yeah. And 
so not we say all that, but that's not to say if this September fifteenth rolls around and we have a buck on pattern that we're not going to go in there after him. That's the right. Conditions have to be correct though, and preferably a wind that's greater than eight miles an hour, mm-hmm. humidity's less than eighty percent, and the wind is in our favor. The uh, whole way, the all whole the way, way to the stand, while we're sitting in the stand, and when we leave as well. And we have to consider where that buck is traveling from, where how he's traveling to us, and where he's going to end up if he if we don't get a shot, where he's going to end up, where his destination is. And if that wind, our wind, is anywhere close to hitting him on any of that path to travel, sorry, we're going to wait. I don't know if there's a way, but I would say less than 20% chance we're hunting in the morning. Right. Um, in September. Yep. Yep. And and so that, that kind of goes to the question of how aggressive should I be? It's all situationally dependent, but those are the factors that we're considering if we if it's go time or if it's sit back and wait. You have to understand what's going on, what the advantage is, who has the advantage, and if it's worth the risk. Because, yeah, they're on a great pattern, but, okay, should I just come back in the afternoon when the wind picks up and I've got a more favorable wind i can get in a little bit better weigh those things out in your mind and i think you can you can answer the question okay now is not the time to be aggressive I, I i do need to wait or you might not you have you can have those bucks that are in the right area during that time of the year and you cannot just no matter what you can't get to them even though they're on a good pattern it's way too risky to hunt them then you just have to sit back and wait. And that's a tough thing to do. A lot of the mistakes happen because of not knowing when you shouldn't hunt and making the decision to stay at home. I think I think that's when we get ourselves in a lot of trouble. You're off of work or you take a vacation it's a time Saturday. and you're like, yeah. I want to hunt. I just want to go. This, is, this has always been my goal or I guess my game plan is, you know, family farm was 300 acres just under when it was mediocre conditions and i absolutely was like i'm going hunting i hunted an area that i just was like i don't really know what's here i'm just i'm just getting to the woods so sometimes that was public ground sometimes Mm -hmm. that was a place that i had permission to hunt that i didn't really ever run cameras or anything that's where i went right when the conditions were poor i didn't go to my best spots no no, 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 no. And you and you really shouldn't do that early season. Now, if it's the rut and kind of anything happens, yeah, you might slip in there and, and give it a whirl. But early season, that's not that's not the card that we're playing and mm-hmm. banking on. Mm-hmm. So food source, we touched on again on a long-winded podcast. But food sources, early season. I think of crop fields. I think of acorns. And those are the the end food plots that we plan mm-hmm. uh, that we just talked about. Those are the things that I'm definitely going to be keen into, and knowing that a lot of times these crops they're going to be turning quickly, their palatability level boom going down or getting harvested mm-hmm. very alfalfa soon. Alfalfa is race against that last harvest. Yep. Um, soybeans, soybeans is race against that leaf turning yellow. Yep. Um, in certain areas, corn whether food it's being plots for silage. For, food plots for us quick. is a race against when acorns are going to start falling. Yep. And whenever the white oak acorns are are down, then that's our new food source, and mm-hmm. that's the struggle for us. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Because we're actually loaded with acorns this year. For sure. Um, so that'll be our main game plan. But that's always race against the clock on a, on a changing food source. And it, it happens quickly. It can happen within two and three days of one another. Um, they could be hitting soybeans just as hard as they can go. And then as soon as they start to really turn, you start to see some of those areas yellow out and start turn boom they're on to something else or that could be the change of a of a storm front Um, Mm -hmm. you could be looking at okay they're on a food source they're on a food plot they're on a soybean field and all of a sudden a storm rolls through and knocks the acorns off and that's now the high high wind day yeah Yeah. absolutely and it changes that quick so you've got to be in in tune not only with what the conditions are what they've allowed and changed your food source but you have to have your stand set and ready and prepared for those instances know where the acorns are at know where um, they're going to be dropping probably most likely first, maybe a ridge top with those winds. Think about that and consider that when you're planning your next step, your next, okay, food source changing, boom, I'm going here. Adam, talk about north slopes a little bit and the importance of those early season. You know, early, okay, early season, um, we're looking at temperatures a little higher. Deer have their winter coats on probably by this time. They're or making they're that in, transition. In the yep. process of transitioning, uh, of, of getting that winter coat. So they've unzipped the the windbreaker, and now they're putting on the wool coat. And temperatures are still warm. So they're trying to stay cool. And that's why north slopes, if you're in hill country, north slopes don't don't get the sunlight that they're south shaded. slopes and, and west slopes get. Even east slopes sometimes mm-hmm. are... A little more moist and and deer will bet on those early season they're trying to get out of the sun and stay cool that's north slopes and east slopes um east slopes are getting hit with morning sun so they're not as preferred north slopes are definitely where we kind of look at we, we like we like to hunt and see the most success on trail cameras and hunting success on our food plots that are closely um, related to those north slopes or even creeks I, that that was the other point I've, I've got down exactly. Those creek systems that are holding a, a lot of moisture, that are cool, that still have a lot of vegetation that hasn't died off because of frost, so it's thick down there. They can hide well, um, and the conditions are a lot more favorable to bed and lay up during the whole day. It's shaded. Those are other areas that we're keen into. What's our best What's our best location at the family farm right now for getting pictures of our hit lister? Right now is Bryant Creek creek that runs year-round and has got a great water source it's cool if you're a local you did not hear that thanks a lot (laughs) matt um yes there's a creek that's running and it's a north slope it's got everything they need to stay cool for Um, sure and that's going to be even more important as they important as they start putting on that winter coat um and even on our property in lebanon missouri that they're bedded near a creek system and staying cool and that's going to continue into the fall. Um, and and another thing, some of our best white oak acorn trees and acorn production areas are on north slopes. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't get rocked with summer sun um, as much, and they're not as the soil's not as dry. So the trees are actually better better growing trees, um, healthier trees because they have more moisture. If, that's another important factor to consider in early season. If you're hunting in hilly terrain close to these these slopes or this creek system something to certainly consider are your thermals especially as that that temperature changes that sun goes down your wind your wind if you're not set up correctly can 
throw you a curveball and deer can get out of sight very, very quickly as then they have the advantage if you have not planned out your entry and your exit accordingly. Yeah. Set stuff to absolutely consider and key into as early season rolls around. So a do, give me a situation, Adam, that's you're like, okay, this is the situation. I've got these conditions. I'm going in after it. Okay. Uh, let's just, let's just plan our Lebanon property. We have a couple bucks that are hitting a big soybean field right now. Mm-hmm. And we assume the bedding areas to the east on a little slope. The, the, I guess the, the process of thinking for us to, and the conditions that are going to allow us to go in there are a wind that's out of the South at eight plus miles an hour. That's, we're looking for that. We're looking for it. We know the thermals, regardless of the time of year, they're going to be rising in the mornings and falling in the evenings. So we're going to try and get somewhere where the thermals are going to be rising quickly because we have warmer temperatures. So we're moving in. The conditions have to be south to southwest at 8 plus miles an hour. And the humidity is lower than 75%. Uh, preferably, it's around 60%, not a heavy dew day, but this time of year, early season, we're going to have a little bit of dew, but we want that humidity to be less than 75%. And with, and basically those are the conditions we're looking for. Keep in mind, it's going to be very tough to get humidity less than 75% early, uh, mid to late September, um, and a wind that's in that direction. But that's the conditions I'm looking for to move in to hunt these bucks transitioning from a bean field moving back east to bed mm-hmm. that's it um now the 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 creek hunt on the family farm will be a little more difficult because we actually kind of need a north wind um and they are that's one of those hunts where waders is almost going to come into play because we're going to have to figure out a way to know where those deer are at in the during the night and knowing that they're probably going back to bed on the north slope during the day. Right. And we're going to try and get in between them, but we need a a west wind, a northwest wind that's and the thermals probably that's going to be a quick hunt. We're going to be looking for the thermals to be falling to the creek um and then going down the creek to the east. So, we're going to be going in with a west wind um or a north wind and going down the creek. So it's basically just going to be trying to nose into the intersection of them moving from north to south to bed. And you mentioned waders. Yeah, we have. That's the access. That's the access. Uh, there's not. That's a really difficult one because there's not really good access to that spot um, other than at some point we're going to be wading in the creek. Correct. So. And that's one of the things. You do what you got to do. And if they continue on a pattern of being in there during daylight in the mornings and that happens we're going to move on it mm-hmm. if not it's not going to be worth it we know that they're there and then their patterns are going to change we have history on those deer those deer are always on the are most of those deer are always on the family farm and this is actually in the very southwest portion of our lease which is right at the edge of the family farm so we know that probably sometime they're going to change from that summer summer pattern to a more winter pattern which is our family farm so we know we're a race against that corn is going to be harvested for silage, um, that which sits right next to it. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that acorns are going to be a major food source, and there's a lot of bur oak acorns in that area, which yep. is a white oak family. Um, 
and they're not in their normal pattern. So we are race against the time to get on those deer while they're still on that pattern. Watching the weather closely, and if not, it's not the end of the world. Again, no. we, we, we've got patterns on them, what they're going to do, what they're most likely going to do during the fall, where they're going to be keen in at. And and the problem, the problem with getting aggressive with these deer where they're at is if we get aggressive and alert them, and bump them, let's say, up the hill, mm-hmm. they're going to the neighbor's property, oh, yeah. which is part of their home range, mm-hmm. and they may spend the whole fall up there because that's where they feel safe. That's the that's the big, I guess, negative with getting too aggressive on those deer right there. You're rolling some dice. Yes. But it could pay off big. It it's could. all dependent upon the conditions and how, how we feel. So, again, if you're sitting back and you're, you've got the deer and you're like, yeah... I'm going after him opening day. Consider those conditions and, and ensure that you get those conditions to go in and 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 hunt. Hopefully, you're going to have a su- successful hunt. Mm-hmm. I think that pretty well. I think that wraps, wraps it up. Us up. Early season do's and don'ts, food plot mixture, and you're on well on your way to having a great fall. What you think? Ah, uh, I think I think it's great. Hopefully, it helps those guys out. Um, guys and gals, hopefully they have, uh, they thinking more about instead of just what can I provide for forage for the deer, they're providing, what can I do to improve soil health and long-term benefits of that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then do's and don'ts of the opening day hunt and, uh, using that will improve their, I'll spin off of the long-term benefits of food plots. So long-term benefits, long-term as in the whole hunting season benefits of when to hunt and when not to hunt. Yes, um, for sure. Huge benefits here. I hope you guys have learned a lot. And always, if if you have a question, feel free to, we encourage you to go to our website and, and sign up and send us an email asking us a question about what you want, what questions you have regarding our podcast or future topics. Maybe you just want a shout out. We'll give you a shout out on here. Whoop, whoop. And... Just go to www.landandlegacy.tv and subscribe there. Send us an email, and we'll be glad to help you guys out. And and we encourage you. We've got some things coming down the chute for our email subscribers that can be beneficial to you on your land, on your property, your hunting property. Um, we're going to be doing some stuff to encourage you to uh, – so where you can learn, not, a, not only on the podcast, you can learn through our email um, and then also go check us out on Facebook and Instagram for daily posts and questions. And hopefully you, you've already done that, but if not, go do that. And, uh, and just a reminder in a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing the full transition to the nine finger chronicles. You'll be able to see all of our stuff right now. They're uploading, um, past episodes, past podcast, um, right now. And a lot of people are tuning in. We're, we're very pleased with that. Um, but a couple weeks you'll be able to find our current stuff on there. So just a reminder of that Mm -hmm. to go ahead and start planning for the transition. Yeah. So, all right guys. Well, thanks for joining us this week. We'll catch you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there. We're answering the podcast or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, gamekeeper, a manager of the land.
So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God?